citizen, the training, chapter 25. There are many kinds of deserts, scorching hot sand, miles of glassy sea, or frozen tundra are the idyllic scenes, but they can be found in everyday cities just the same. By any definition, a desert's moniker is desolation. The calling card is emptiness and death, even if masked within nights of carnal abyss. But whether deserts teem with unfettered life, or have an unrecognized beauty in their loneliness, the underlying association is with endurance, tediousness, and long-suffering, whether admitted or not. When Tracy was driven out of Ohio, the first desert was Chattanooga. As prophesied, Tracy was soon laid off from Siemens' nuclear power. Tracy decided to finish his associate's degree in order to have a piece of paper to prove his experience. He went to Chattanooga State, and only made a few friends with the local Kung Fu family there. Tracy did make associations at the pizza place where he worked part-time so he could eat. Munchie's Pizza was a family business. Tracy wasn't Italian, but it didn't matter because the family was German. Helga the grandmother made a mean pizza crust, her son made an awesome sauce, and they took Tracy on as their own. Tracy's other part-time job was at Nations Bank, soon to be Bank of America, which was not a family-oriented business. It was 1993, and Internet banking was coming over the horizon. Computer engineers were needed, so Tracy took classes. The sun came up and set, moons waxed and waned, and Tracy kept walking. In September, Tracy had his third vision in Chattanooga. It was more of a message than a visual vision, and he had it while he slept. In three days, he said, you are going to lose a member of your family, but do not worry, it is just fine, they will only be asleep. And Tracy understood that a sleep meant the person was saved. Can you tell me who it is? Tracy asked. I am not allowed to reveal that, he said. But when you get the news, I urge you to begin a three-day water fast. Then Tracy woke up, and at first he didn't understand. Tracy loved to eat, and never considered a fast especially of just water. The water fast also made the information of someone's death more ominous. The next day, Tracy reached out to every last person of his family. As Tracy checked off his list, he realized the time given him was to close any gaps or resolve any issues. Tracy also recognized he was being emptied out before it happened. Most of Tracy's family didn't know why he called out of the blue, but he told a few. Granny was particularly intrigued and got prepared. Tracy also told his kung fu buddy Bill. Tracy met Bill working out at a martial arts studio in Chattanooga. 
they were compatible because Bill loved Munchie's pizza and movies, which were the only prerequisites. By this time, Bill was also one of the few Chattanoogans familiar with Tracy's relationship with God. So Bill was not surprised when Tracy told him someone in his family was about to die. Bill also didn't know what to do with that information. It will be just fine, Tracy said. I'll let you know. Three days passed. After working out, Bill came into Tracy's apartment to borrow one of Tracy's kung fu movies. When the phone rang, Tracy looked at Bill. It was like when Tracy was little, and he told his mom the phone was about to ring, and Granny was going to ask to borrow a cup of salt. You remember the vision I told you about? Tracy asked. Yeah, Bill said cautiously. I think this is that phone call. And Tracy answered. Hey, Granny. And he looked at his watch, because it was an unusual time for her to call. Is someone with you? Granny asked. Yes. Tracy said. Who was it? Put him on the phone, Granny said. It's for you. Tracy said to Bill, who became alarmed. Tracy handed Bill the phone, and he spoke with Granny soft enough Tracy couldn't hear. Bill had met Granny on a trip to work out with Ron in Charleston, so they weren't strangers. After a while, Bill held the phone to his chest. Granny asked me to stay with you for as long as you needed, Bill said, and I told her I would. I also told her you told me about the vision, and you were prepared for this news. And Bill handed Tracy the phone. Are you sitting down? Granny asked. No, Tracy said. I'm standing, but I'm leaning on this door frame, so go ahead. It was Freddy. What happened? He was shot by a security guard. Tracy was ready, but the desolation of losing his brother, who was eleven months and five days younger, was more than he expected. In many ways, Freddy was the embodiment of youth, laughter, and pure happiness for Tracy, and having his closeness taken away by the heat of bullets, burned a hole in Tracy's heart immediately. Bill stayed with Tracy for a while, and then Tracy started his water fast to extinguish his anger. The next day, Tracy traveled to West Virginia to join the family, and they went to D.C. for the funeral. All of it was unbelievably unfair, and Tracy's desert expanded in a way he hadn't considered. The embers of death's all-consuming fire fell about him, and everyone was in shock. But Tracy was okay, at least with the fact that it happened. Why it happened, from an earthly perspective, was totally unacceptable. An army buddy came to visit Freddy. They played video games until Freddy's girlfriend reminded Freddy he had to go to work in the morning. She said Freddy should either take his friend back to his hotel, or he should crash with them in their apartment. 
It was a warm night, and the hotel wasn't far. So Freddy kept his shorts on, put on flip-flops, and didn't bother to put on a T-shirt because he didn't plan to get out of the car. Then Freddy drove his buddy to the hotel and dropped him off. As soon as Freddy's friend went through the front door, the security guard ran out. Stop! the security guard shouted. Police! and he ran to the back of Freddy's car. Freddy assumed the security guard was shouting at someone else because he still sat in his car. From his army training, Freddy looked into his rearview mirror to see who might be out there. Without another word, the security guard fired three shots through the rear window. Freddy sped off, unaware of what was going on, but the shots hit the back of Freddy's seat and went through. Then Freddy realized he was hit in the abdomen. He managed to get back onto the highway and went down the hill to the light. Freddy had to turn left to get to the hospital, which was just at the top of the hill. But Freddy bled out before he reached the intersection, and his car simply veered off the road. Freddy was found in his car, and there wasn't much investigation. The security guard said he thought the hotel was being robbed because the safe was open. But Freddy never got out of his car, and his army buddy walked in as the security guard ran out. But that was all there was to it, and Freddy was dead at the age of twenty-six. So. Hello everyone, Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. The water fast helped Tracy stay calm at the funeral. Granny, Moody... Ginny, Alvin, and Tracy's cousins were there. It was odd that Vera was absent, and more unusual, it had only been four years since she had passed. Because she was gone, the circumstance of Big Freddy attending his son's funeral with Bobby was awkward at best. Even though they were cousins, Vera's two husbands fought the entire time, considering whether to engage another cousin who was an attorney. They argued whether to sue the hotel, the guard, or the security company that allowed the guard to carry a weapon, or all of them. But their misplaced anger just stoked the fires, and Tracy drank water to drown out their confusion. "'It's too bad you couldn't show this much energy for Freddy's well-being when he was alive.' Ginny pointed out. Over the years, the tough talk unraveled to nothing. But everyone was rattled by Freddy's passing, especially the cousins that grew up with Freddy in Ginny and Alvin's house. The three musketeers were down by one, and they hadn't reached thirty. 
Tracy's unruffled demeanor and Waterfast also irked his sister cousins, because they didn't understand. "'You better eat before you pass out,' Mia said at the restaurant. "'You look odd, sitting there just drinking water.' "'God ain't never told me to go on a fast,' Demise said. "'You're just acting weird again, cause you was the favorite.' Marie kept quiet as usual, even though she was just as seared on the inside. Granny shot a look at Ginny's girls that was enough for them to leave it alone, although Granny had never seen Tracy drink so much water in his life. As for Tracy, the more he drank, the lighter he was. With Freddy gone, Tracy realized he was the last of Vera's side of the family. He was the last male and last staples, which was the end of Granny's line. The water helped carry that weight away, and Tracy kept breathing. The next day, Freddy's funeral had a small military guard. It rained heavily, which was peculiar for September. Freddy's relatives lined up along the edge of his grave, stunned at who was going in the ground. Across the expansive cemetery, Acres of headstones stretched over a low, sloping hill. Most were flushed to the ground with uneven corners popped up. The lawn was scorched from August, so the rain slid off the dead grass, unable to penetrate the hardened soil. Freddy died a private first class, and his girlfriend was given Freddy's flag. At the end of the ceremony, Bobby unexpectedly began to cry about Vera, but Mama Roe wasn't having that. "'Hush up, Bobby,' Roe said quietly. "'This ain't the time nor place to be making this all about you. You already did that, and now they're gone.' After the funeral, Mama Roe took Tracy aside after the others left. They stood under the cemetery tent, and her words were punctuated by the sound of raindrops. "'Trace,' she said, "'I know you don't have a reason to come back here any more, "'but don't you forget about your Mama Roe. "'You're my son now, just like I promised your mom. "'Even with Freddy gone, I'm still your Mama Roe.' "'And the rain poured itself out as they hugged, "'and Tracy was awash with water, inside and out. "'Like cleaning an open wound, the water rinsed his soul.' Another thing also calmed Tracy. The preacher's eulogy had been pleasant. He knew Freddy well enough to be invited to dinner by Freddy and his girlfriend. Everyone was sure they would have married, given a little more time. But with his last remark, the preacher confirmed what he told Tracy three days earlier. "'Good night, Freddy,' the preacher said. "'We'll see you in the morning.' Tracy knew that Freddy was only asleep, and that he would see him again. What Tracy didn't know was how soon that would be, although it was just like his annoying little brother to surprise him when he least expected it. About a year after Freddy died, Tracy woke up in a room that was all white. The bed was large and comfy. 
Tracy looked to see if there was an angel or demon lurking, but it was a normal, comfortable house, and Tracy felt at home. The doors and windows were outlined in white. The bedroom had a high, oddly vaulted ceiling, and a large bathroom was through the door on the left. Tracy went to the hall where there was a small bath to his right, and a staircase went down to his left. The angles of the house caught his attention, and everything was bright and clean. Tracy went to the bedroom at the end of the hall and looked in. "'Tracy,' Freddy said easily, "'what are you doing?' Freddy was stretched out on the neatly made bed, wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt that were white. His long legs were crossed, and his hands were behind his head resting on pillows. But Freddy didn't get up, which Tracy realized had significance. When Tracy went to hug his brother, Freddy didn't move because he had to stay in repose. As much as Tracy missed him, Tracy knew this vision was one where emotions weren't relevant, but was packed with information if he observed and remembered. "'Do you like your house?' Freddy asked. Tracy didn't recognize it at the time, but that was five words. Tracy did understand the house was his if he said yes. "'Yes,' Tracy confirmed quickly. "'This is great, but... What are you doing here? Freddy didn't answer. Instead, he relaxed, unconditionally happy and full of joy, and smiled a big Freddy-sized grin. The phone is for you, Freddy said. Another five words. Like when he was a child, or got the call Freddy had died, Tracy knew the phone was about to ring. He also knew Freddy wasn't going to say anything else, so Tracy smiled back. The two brothers enjoyed the moment, because Tracy knew Freddy would be gone again. Then the phone rang, and Tracy had to go. He went downstairs, which ended at a wall to the small bath by the front door. To the right was a townhouse-sized open dining room. A breakfast bar divided the kitchen behind. Granny stood next to the kitty-corner sink and spoke on the phone. Tracy went through the dining room to the kitchen. Past to the refrigerator was an opening to the living room. There, Granny Berger sat on an overstuffed burgundy couch. She smiled at Tracy, so he went past Granny to see her. Granny Berger? Tracy exclaimed. What are you doing in my dream? I haven't seen you since. Then Tracy realized Granny Berger and Freddy were both dead. Freddy was reclined, and Granny Berger sat on the couch and smiled, but didn't speak. Granny was the only one who stood, and was the only one still alive in this world. This revelation made Tracy wonder who was on the phone. The voice that came through the speaker sounded like Vera, but it wasn't exact, although it was familiar and nurturing. Then Tracy puzzled why his mom would be on the phone and why she would be calling. Here, this is for you, 
Granny said. Five words. And she handed the phone to Tracy. Hello? Tracy asked. Trace, Vera said. I'll be talking to you. And at the sound of her voice, Tracy woke up. Tracy stayed in bed and meditated on what he had experienced. Then he received understanding. Tracy knew Granny's death would be the last death, and he wouldn't grieve as much. Tracy also understood that when Granny handed him the phone, something was activated. When Granny died, Tracy would have a line, a connection to get unknown information known. When that happened, Tracy could connect with anyone on the other end. But that was what was to come. For now, Tracy kept walking. As the years went by, Tracy wasn't released from his desert. Instead, Tracy's proving ground changed to various workplaces in Atlanta, and his tests became merged in real time. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to purchase the book, Dual Citizen, it is available on Amazon. Be sure to search for Dual Citizen, The Connection. All three books, The Connection, The Training, and The Arrival, are available in print as well as on Kindle. Dual Citizen, The Connection, is also available on Audible. So, if you would like to skip ahead and see how everything turns out, feel free. But don't tell your friends the ending. Thanks again, and we hope everyone will find their place at the table.